Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles. And today, Apple finally released their self-service repair program. Studio Display Firmware came out. Plus, we have some iPhone and iOS rumors coming up for WWDC. This episode is brought to you by our sponsors, New Relic, Jamf, DioConnect, and Collide. You'll hear about them in a moment. And joining me this week is, once again, my friend on this side of the pond, Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Uh, pretty good, Stephen. I'm playing this new iOS game called uh, Where in the World is William Gallagher? It's uh, pretty fun. He's still working on his Wikipedia page. No, William should be back next week. Again, he is really running some editorial stuff this week and last week on the site. But rest assured, he'll be back. I actually saw a video that he did about using an iPad as like a dashboard for his writing stuff. I thought that was very interesting. So anyway, we'll have William back very soon and we'll grill him on his Wikipedia page, especially. I want to know what's going on with that thing. All right, some five-star reviews. Thank you to Honda Maker from the USA, Surder 1972 from Spain, international listener, Mark on Long Island, JC from Germany, very cool, Apple iPhone 19 from USA. I don't know how Apple allowed you to get that username, but very good. And then Eric203Kid from the USA. Thank you for all of those five-star reviews. I wanted to do one quick follow-up. I talked about MagSafe firmware last week, and we had talked about, you know, some devices don't, you can't update the firmware manually or force it to update quickly. Well, Craig actually sent me an email and said with the MagSafe battery pack, apparently if you plug it into your Mac, it will update the firmware probably in about five, maybe 10 minutes. And I hadn't gotten a chance to do it just yet. I actually forgot until right now, but I will try that and report back because I did plug in my MagSafe battery pack. I plugged it in with Lightning to the MagSafe battery pack and then put that on my iPhone, left that sitting for a while, but the firmware still has not updated. So I'm gonna try connecting it to my Mac and see if that does anything. Do you have one of those MagSafe battery packs? I do, and I couldn't tell you what firmware is on it because I just do not care. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm, I like all my stuff on the latest, that's all. It'll, it'll update eventually and um, I might notice, I might not. I don't really use it that often. If I got out more, maybe I would, but uh, <laughs> just one of those things, interesting. I. Apple is really kind of being more upfront about these rolling out update things. I think I don't I don't know if they're like putting it on the status page or anything, but these they're finding it in the code. Uh, these you know code sleuths that even found the firmware update in the first place. It's telling exactly how these firmware updates are expected to roll out. This happened with the AirTag as well. AirTag was updated this week, and I guess somewhere in the code it was because everyone was reporting it. It had someone found it somewhere that they were going to do it like on a daily basis, 1% this day, 5% this day, until finally 100% on, on May 13th should have the new firmware oh for AirTag. So I, I guess Apple's just playing around with this new slow rollout. And okay, yeah, I, I still want a button somewhere that just says update now. Yes, for AirTag, for MagSafe battery, for AirPods, especially AirPods. But there was something where it was like a significant update, maybe to the AirPods Max shortly after it came out. Some fix for, I think, going to sleep. That's what it was. Right. A firmware update to fix that. And that was something like, I would love to force that update so I wouldn't have to wait for it to, to do it on its own. But Yeah, force an update to the studio display webcam, you know. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that because you got the studio display and there was that firmware that supposedly improved camera quality. But we'll get to that in a moment. Before we get into their self-service repair program, Apple did have its second quarter earnings call and they had another record-breaking quarter reporting $97.2 billion dollars in revenue. This is the third highest earning quarter only behind the last two holiday quarters. iPhone, Mac, wearables, home, and accessories revenue rose year over year. The iPad was down slightly, 7.65 billion from 7.8. 
But one of the big focuses from Apple has been services, and Apple did earn $19.8 billion in revenue just for services alone, which is a 17.2% increase from last year. If you'd like more details on their record-breaking quarter, I'll put a link in the show notes to the notes of interest from the earnings call right at the top. I want to mention the self-service repair program. Apple announced this last year in heat of all that litigation about right to repair and tech companies basically needing to be able to make repair services more accessible to users and consumers. Well, Apple's self-service repair program is now fully launched. First of all, if you go to apple.com, it's not super easy to get to. Like there's not a tab at the top. It's not even, I think it's under the support tab. If you go to support and then you go to like Apple repair, then you can go down to other repair options and then you have self-service repair. That has its own page. Amongst Apple web pages, very bare bones. <laughs> like, you know, you go to the product pages for iPhone and iPad and you got images and animations. And this is very much just like text and a couple gray icons for the self-service repair page. But I, I think a couple things are interesting. Number one, you can actually go and get repair manuals, which are PDFs for iPhone 12 and 13 as full PDF repair manuals that will show you how to replace the screen, replace the battery, all of that. Some products like Apple Watch, I was curious about this because Apple Watch Series 7 is here, but they do not have a repair manual for that, basically. Like they're not telling you how to take the screen off or replace parts for your Apple Watch. I guess even the iPad ones aren't really full teardowns. I just went to the iPad mini manual and it doesn't really tell you to do anything. I guess it's really just the iPhone and maybe Mac. Let's see. Let me check. No, not even the Mac. Just iPhone. Just iPhone. Yeah. Well, the M1 Mac, that lineup is supposed to get added later. I think the Mac mini is first maybe. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's just iPhones right now and only the iPhones for sale. So 13 models, 12 models and SE. Gotcha. So the manuals are interesting. I mean, if you ever looked at iFixit teardown manuals and videos, they have excellent imagery and instructions, iFixit does. And Apple's manual is just as detailed. And I mean, this is their specific manual on how to do everything, like the maker of the device. So you would expect it to be pretty detailed, pretty exact. It is in-depth. You know, it's interesting to just kind of browse some of these PDFs and see all the parts inside see how you would disassemble it. But what I find most interesting is those manuals are on Apple's website. So when you go to the self-service repair program, you go to download your repair manual, that's all apple.com. But as soon as you wanna actually get parts to repair your device, to replace your iPhone battery or what have you, then you go to another website and this is selfservicerepair.com. And Apple's saying this is where you get your parts and everything. And it is very clearly not an Apple website. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Wes, let me know if we have any information on this, but it really seems like they have outsourced the whole part shipping and repair logistics for this program to someone else. It's called SPOT. I'm looking for the uh, what the abbreviation stands for, but it's like service parts. What It's it's a different company. It might be yeah. one of those weird Apple um, shadow companies, who knows, like they just own a bunch of random subsidiaries, but no, it's, it's not Apple. Uh, and when you do like the terms of service agreements or payment agreements and all of that, SPOT is clearly defined. And if you go to like the terms of service page on the website, they're there too. So it's uh, definitely not an Apple website. 
website and Apple, I think is, is kind of clear about that. Um, their logos even at the bottom of the page. So yeah, it makes sense that Apple would not want to have to deal with the logistics of this, because as we'll talk about in a second, there are many, many different things you can order from this selfservicerepair.com website. But the design of this website, I think, is particularly funny. Like, I saw a couple tweets as this website launched earlier this week. And there's just, like, cringy stock imagery of people out with, like, headset mics and things. Like, they're customer service people. Like, just kind of cringy stuff. Like, it's like it's not... It's not great. And it's also weird because on this website, selfservicerepair.com, if you want to click read the manual for the device, it kicks you back to apple.com. It's like very clearly a separate thing for these parts. And now what you can actually order on this webpage, you can start an order, you select your products. So let's just do it. I'm going to select an iPhone, iPhone 13 Pro, and then you can choose the repair type. It could be battery, replace the bottom speaker, even the camera, the display if you cracked your screen, just SIM tray or even the Taptic engine. And then once you click your repair type like display or battery, then you see the different parts that you can buy. So you can buy the whole iPhone 13 Pro display bundle, which gives you everything you need to make the repair. And that's $270 to buy it. And then if you return your broken parts to Apple after you do the repair yourself, they'll give you a rebate of like $33 in this particular case. And so the total cost after that rebate is like $230 to replace the screen yourself. And now I don't know, you did a big comparison article about is this actually worth it? And so I'd be curious your thoughts on the pricing of some of these bundles versus just paying for Apple Care and letting Apple do it. Well, it really just comes down to one thing. Uh, can you actually do this? Uh, right. Do you have the technical skills? Do you not go out here if you've never touched an electronic before in your life, especially you know, one made in the last 10 years. I mean, sure, you could repair a stereo in the 1980s pretty easily. I did I did when I was like seven. Like, they're just a big bunch of wires and gigantic parts. Nowadays, they're they're tiny. Uh, they're, <laughs> right. And everything in there is sensitive. If you're not wearing gloves and you're not grounded, you could short out your entire phone just by touching the wrong component. There's even warnings in the manual. It's like, do not touch the Face ID module. <laughs> just don't, don't even touch yeah, it. Yeah, right. I just urge anyone who is within decent proximity of a store or a best buy or something just just go there pay the fee because honestly uh, doing this comparison the fees are usually actually cheaper than doing it yourself because even though steven you know described that display repair uh he didn't include the fact that you need tools right and the tools are their own nightmare uh there's about 1200 worth of tools in a 70 pound kit that gets mailed to your house yeah this thing is no joke uh it's it's got like the press and the clamps that you need to get like the, the display off and all of that and you have to return it within seven days or Tim Cook knocks on your door and kidnaps you. Um, <laughs> no, it, I mean, so if you read their agreement, it, it reads it's that. Intense. It's very, yeah, it's very intense. But this, like you said, so this kit with all the tools and contraptions you need to do these repairs, it costs $50 to rent it for a week, but it is $1,000 worth of equipment. It comes, like you were saying, in like a flight case, basically, like a Pelican case of all these different things. And a temporary hold is actually put on your credit card while this repair kit is in your possession. And so if you want to do a repair, like do the display change of your own iPhone, you have to rent these tools for $50 plus buy the parts for $260. And then a hold of like $1,272 is put on your card until you return all that equipment. And then they'll take the $1,000 off. But again, you look at the price of Apple Care Plus. 
which is $150, you know, depending on what exact device you have, it's about $150 to $200. The cost of doing all the parts and labor yourself, plus the hassle of having to deal with this 70-pound repair kit of all these tools, getting it back. And you have to know what you're doing. Yeah, and you have to know what you're doing. I mean, I, I understand, like, they have to do this because the right to repair litigation, like, this is at least helping that regard. Like, Apple is saying, you can repair it if you want to, but it seems to make it very clear, like, this is not an easy procedure for even like not only dealing with the tools, but the actual procedures itself. You could just see it by the length of the manuals. But if you look at like, say, a battery repair for the iPhone 13, Apple's going to charge you $69, right? If you don't have Apple Care Plus. And if you have Apple Care Plus, you've already spent $150 anyway, right? Right. Out of warranty, battery repair is $69. Well, if you do it yourself, first of all, no matter what, you always need the toolkit unless you've, you know, gone on iFixit or something and bought their tools, but you need the tools and it's either $50 from Apple or a couple hundred from iFixit or a couple thousand if you want to own Apple's actual equipment. So that's out of pocket. So let's just say $50 and then you're getting the battery replacement kit, which Apple says a bundle of parts for a battery replacement is $71. That's already $2 more than replacing yeah. the battery at an Apple store. And they'll do it professionally with a technician. You know, they have, they're they insured. And if they break the device, they might even just hand you a new one. Um, because guess what? Melting that adhesive mm. and popping the display off is not a 100% guarantee. You could shatter your display just trying to replace yeah. your battery. And Apple, they'll sometimes warn you, like, if we break your display, you might be paying for a new one. But usually they'll just, you know, replace the display, pop a new yeah. one on there because they're the ones who broke it, right? So you're going into that situation understanding uh, what what's going on here. That that, that was a, a big issue back when they were doing the cheaper battery replacements. And I think they were making people sign mm. waivers to to make sure that they, you know, <laughs> understood that they would be paying for a new display if it shattered. But and in, anyway, so right. at the end of the day, when you even with the rebate, you are out ninety five dollars, right? And your own time and effort and lugging around seventy pound boxes Sheesh. and returning it in the mail within seven days before Craig Federighi comes and takes your cat. So it's just a lot. Yeah, I mean, if you were anywhere in proximity, even you know. A 30 minute drive, even if it's a little inconvenient, you're just better off. Even if it's a mail in, unless you're just mission critical and that device is your lifeline and you have some soldering skills and you feel confident and you cannot do without your phone for more than a day, then sure, maybe it's worth it. But man, I don't know what mission impossible life you're living, but yeah, I don't think it's worth it. And the other thing is how will third party repair stores be able to utilize this system? And it seems like they really won't be because when you want to order parts, whether it's a battery or a display replacement, you actually need to provide the serial number or IMEI of the device that you're ordering the parts for. Now, I don't know if you try to use the same IMEI multiple times, like eventually I imagine the system is going to be like, no, you already did this. I'm not sure uh, if that's actually there's a maximum or anything, but this is not for third party repair shops to order parts from like that's not what the system is for well Stephen, I, I think perfect example when i was on deployment we had a guy and this was back in the um you know iphone 5 days where you just needed a screwdriver a screwdriver you know you <laughs> yeah. could pop the display off and yeah it was just it was so easy back in the day but um and the phones have gotten more complex so repairing them has gotten complex funny how that works anyway so back in the day on deployment we had a guy who just would have like android and iphone stuff and he, he would be the guy that you just say you know what i broke my phone could you fix it for me give him like 20 bucks and he'd fix it i 
can see some big nerd buying, you know, because, you know, they, they got Navy money. They got some money to blow. Uh, sure, buying sure. Apple's tools just outright using their own iPhone thing, uh, IMEI, to order the parts. So, you know, they're out $1,200, sure. But now they can build a little iPhone repair lab in the back of the ship and charge everyone 50 or or $100 to do whatever it is they're going to do. Right. And when someone brings them their broken phone, use that person's thing to order the tools. I, You know, and if, right. if you're going to be a third-party business, each phone that's brought to you to get repaired, you would just use their thing to make the order. Maybe right. walk through the order process with the, the prospective customer. So I would just say personally, I have done a lot of repairs and hard drive upgrades and all that to max pre M1 days, <laughs> like doing it to unibody aluminum MacBook Pros, even to 21 and a half and 27 inch iMacs. I've peeled off a lot of screens, replaced a lot of hard drives, spinning drives with SSDs. And first of all, like the, your first time ever doing something like this, you're probably going to make a mistake. Like the first time I took a screen off a 21 and a half inch iMac, I messed up the display. Like I literally broke it in some way as I was trying to peel it off. And there was a big green line down the middle of the screen. And so like doing it for your very first time, is a risk and you're probably going to mess something up. Now, if you're a super tinkerer and you've been working on devices for your entire life, maybe not, but just as someone who had never repaired devices before, then did a bunch of repairs, like you do have to develop that those skills. You have to develop those skills. And for me personally, I was comfortable with everything up to like Apple Silicon device days. And I have just told myself now, like I'm not going to work on my own devices or other people's devices because it is increasingly complicated to dissect these things and change the parts. You're dealing with very tiny parts. It's a very tedious process. And for me personally, whenever it got to soldering or heat anything to have to like melt adhesive, like I'm out, like I'm just not going to do that. So yeah, I mean, in the 1970s, every part to a car was the size of your fist. It, it was like putting together <laughs> right. Duplo blocks as a three-year-old. You could just figure it out with a big enough picture in front of your face. Like it yeah. didn't require that much. Even if you didn't really understand the inner workings of a vehicle, you know, a big enough diagram and a screwdriver, you could get the thing going. I, I wouldn't yeah. say it's going to be like an expert perfect job if you're inexperienced, but it was doable. And that's why like the right to repair people think, you know, that's, that's their mindset of if I can fix my car, why can't I fix my phone? And I just turn them and say, all right, it's changed. And I think Apple just saying, okay, well, if you want to repair your own stuff, we're giving you the parts we have, we're giving you the tools we have, go for it and learn very quickly that maybe us providing you skilled technicians at a pretty competitive price. I know Again, it's expensive, but also the device you're fixing is expensive. You spent like $1,200 on this iPhone yeah. and you're expecting it not to cost $200 to fix it. I'm sorry. It's just how these things go. I don't know. The whole thing, I, I've never quite understood the mentality behind the right to repair movement, especially when it comes to like advanced technology, like cell phones, tablets, laptops, or just, it's getting way too complicated. And I, I personally would never want to try to mess with it myself, like you said. Yeah. And this is maybe just confirmed more in my mind. I do get Apple Care on most of my products, save for maybe a desktop Mac. But I feel like seeing these repair costs and even just like the parts costs compared to Apple Care, which even at its most expensive, like I think if you get it for a 16 inch MacBook Pro, it's close to $300. Even then, you know, you're dealing with that ProMotion mini LED display. You have a system on a chip where the RAM and everything is integrated. It's not even like back in the day where you could 
take RAM slots and chips and swap them out or whatever. So for me, I think I'm still going to go with Apple Care for a lot of my stuff. And I, again, I'm glad this is out there. I mean, for people who want to tinker, I will also say if you want just a toolkit, maybe if you're working in a business or an organization that has some older Macs, like pre 2018 models, iFixit tools are great. Like I have the iFixit tool, like the Pro Kit, where it's got all the different screw heads and star, you know, star screwdrivers and all that, even the things to peel an iMac screen off. Like they have great tools. You can get a toolkit from them for like 80 bucks. And it will actually take you a long way when it comes to slightly older Apple devices. So I say if you really want to tinker, and especially with computers, and maybe not necessarily iPads and iPhones, iFixit does have great tools out there for you to mess with. Yeah, we have an article too covering, you know, just a few tools that are alternative to Apple's on and a little bit cheaper that you can look at that might, you know, if you just want to get into the space and play around. Like I've mentioned it before, I don't get Apple Care on anything. I don't really break anything. So, and sure, eventually I might break something and have to get it fixed. But guess what? I've not spent, you know, the hundreds of dollars on Apple Care. I'll just right. count that as uh, savings. It's just one of those things where you got to kind of play the risk game and figure out like, are you accident prone? Do you need this thing? And uh, yeah, just do what makes sense. And last thing I did notice on Twitter, a few people who are Apple repair specialists complaining that their diagrams and stuff are awful compared to the manuals that were given to just the general public. And now they're just going to use those to repair the iPhone. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I believe I saw Fudge, who a uh, longtime leaker, now retired, talking on Twitter about how these manuals are just are, are much better, the ones that were given to consumers versus what the Apple store actually got, which is really funny to me. That is hilarious. This episode is brought to you by a brand new sponsor this week, New Relic. All right, if you're a software engineer, you've been there. It's 9 p.m., you're finally unwinding from work, and then your phone buzzes with an alert. Something's broken, your mind's already racing at what could be wrong. Is it the back end? Is it global? Is it the server? Is it the network? Now the whole team's scrambling from tool to tool and messaging person to person to fix and find the issue. That won't happen if you get New Relic. New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products that you'd normally buy separately so engineering teams can see across their entire software stack in one place. More importantly, you can pinpoint issues down to the line of code so you know exactly why the problem happened and can resolve it quickly. That's why the dev and ops team at DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. Whether you run a cloud-native startup for a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment. Then next 9 p.m. call is just waiting to happen, so get New Relic before it does. And you can get access to the whole New Relic platform and 100 gigabytes of data free forever, no credit card required. Sign up at newrelic.com slash appleinsider. That's N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash appleinsider newrelic.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to New Relic for sponsoring this episode and our friends at Jamf. I say friends because I have personally been using Jamf for seven plus years to manage multiple Apple devices. I manage iPhones, iPads, and Macs through Jamf's incredible mobile device management platform. Jamf is the standard in Apple enterprise management and it helps organizations succeed with Apple devices. It's trusted by 60,000 plus businesses, schools, and hospitals, and their sole focus is the Apple ecosystem. You can automate the life cycle of Apple device management, personalize Apple devices to a specific user's needs, preserve the Apple device experience that users love, and access the largest Apple IT community on the planet. Jamf provides same-day Apple OS support for every macOS, iOS, iPadOS, and even tvOS release. If you're using Apple TVs, 
in an education system or in commercial setting to power your TVs, Jamf can help with that too. Some of the incredible features of Jamf is zero touch deployment, so you can ship Apple devices to your employees and it will set up automatically when they turn it on the first time. There's identity-based access and a self-service portal to empower users with instant resource access. And you can protect your data and Apple endpoints with security management, reduce risk, and maintain a streamlined, protected user experience. And they even help with threat prevention and remediation. You can be proactive and keep your users and organization safe from malware and threats. See the difference Apple Enterprise Management makes. Get a free 14-day trial when you go to jamf.it slash appleinsider. That's J-A-M-F dot I-T slash Apple Insider. I've been using Jamf for years. I love it, and I think you'll love it too. Jamf dot I-T slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Jamf for sponsoring this episode. So the firmware update for the studio display that addressed the webcam issues, the front-facing FaceTime camera, is out. You can download it now. It is a beta at the moment, so it's not like the official release. But Apple has said that this beta update has, quote, refinements to the studio display camera, tuning, including improved noise reduction, contrast, and framing, meaning that center stage performance where it tries to follow you around the room is slightly improved. I saw a couple reactions online. I know Neelai from The Verge, he did the update. He said he feels like it does look better. There's less noise in the background. There's better contrast on his face, but it is not a significant upgrade or change to the quality. And a lot of people pointed out, rightly so, I mean, this is basically an iPad camera and processor from several, two generations ago. And we're not going to get some incredible camera quality that looks like an iPhone 13 Pro front-facing camera from the hardware. I mean, just the hardware itself is not gonna be capable of a much better picture via a software update, but supposedly this has some refinements. Now, Wes, have you done this beta update? I'm not running the betas right now because there's nothing in it. I'm saving, destroying my computers for <laughs> WWDC. So right. yeah, right now, unless something significant pops up like a new multitasking system for iPadOS, I'm not gonna run the betas right now. Yeah. Now, is can you run the beta on the display separately from your Mac? Nope. The only way you can see, because this they call it a beta. I don't even know if this is technically like the right word. Even Apple's spokesperson uh, said it was a beta. I think it's just the update. The only way you can actually get to the update, though, is if you're running macOS Monterey 12.4, which is in beta. So um, it shows up for people on the uh, third beta of mac os and uh it's like a 480 megabyte download which is hilarious it's just kind of huge uh for yeah uh, like again this is monitor firmware <laughs> but yeah it's I, i'm not running it i i did see the comparisons and one that just it's blew me away i think uh james thompson of peacock fame he's uh just posting a million photos of this so if you go on twitter you can find that but <laughs> the imac pro got such an amazing ca camera compared to this thing. It's crazy. Huh. It, didn't the iMac Pro get a 1080p? Like it's just a completely different, yeah. like new module that we've not seen anywhere else. I honestly would have liked that camera in this uh, more than whatever this thing is. Yeah, I think doing the ultra wide lens, you have to do that for center stage, but then that is a significant hit to the quality of the camera. I mean, you just think about- It's an f-stop issue. It's an f-stop issue, yeah, hardware. Yeah. And if you look at like the iPhone 13 Pro or even the 12 Pro, if you look at the ultra wide camera versus just the default or wide angle camera, you're gonna get a much, much better picture quality from that default camera. Now, macro stuff looks great on the ultra wide on the 13 Pro, but just in general, it's just a better hardware lens. And so putting the ultra wide camera in the studio display, you are sacrificing 
some image quality for that center stage effect. Now I'm looking at Andrew's picture here. We'll put the link in show notes. It does look like this firmware update helped the skin tones before it was like very pinkish red skin tones, like too much so. So skin tones do look better with the update. Like he said in the article, it would be very helpful to have a zoom setting basically to say, I don't want center stage to get this close or this far. And I do think having used center stage on the iPad Pro a number of times, especially on Zoom calls, I do think that would be a great option because there are some times where center stage will get like super close in on my face. And again, like you're basically cropping in a 12 megapixel sensor pretty significantly to get that close to a face. And it starts looking not great, like real blurry almost and grainy. So I would say a Zoom setting to say, you know, give me 50%, give me 75% Zoom, but don't do like that get as close as you can type thing for center stage. Well, there's multiple things working against us here. Uh, first of all, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's what you call like the ultra wide angle camera. So um, already it's, it's not getting as much light and that F stop's going to be much lower. So you're actually going to be again, much less light. So more noise is going to be introduced in the image. And I believe this is not a camera with autofocus. I'm correct me if I'm wrong. So that means that it's got a very wide aperture set to ensure that nothing is out of focus within the frame. Again, increasing the noise, decreasing the amount of light that can get in. So we're just, everything is working against this thing. Uh, So if you're working a relatively dim office like I do, yeah, you're, everything's fighting against you. It's not going to be great image quality. It's going to be very noisy. And it seems the image processing is making the quality very flat. You're losing a lot of contrast. The color doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just not, it's just not great overall. And I do agree with some sentiment here. There, Apple, I know, hates this, but we should probably have a settings menu, if not at least an onboarding process. Let us onboard the center stage camera, say, I would like my face to be framed this way. Right. And just, you know, set that one time. So it's like, okay, would you prefer having your face all the way at the top of the screen, the center of the screen or whatever? Like where's ideally, would you like your face in the display and set that lock it in and say, raise the exposure plus two, desaturate minus two, and then just hit okay, and then never do it again. Like if Apple could just give us an onboarding process, that would probably solve a lot of these issues, not have to worry about it. And Mm. whatever's going on with their denoise algorithm, just, you know, fix that. I'm sure we'll see a few updates here soon. I mean, this is, I guess, again, technically a part of a beta process. So it's only the first of a few updates that we're probably going to see over the next month before they finally release it to the public. So we might actually see more improvements, but it's still not a good physical camera. So I don't think we're going to see a huge improvement. Our real quick Apple podcast actually released new collections in the Apple podcast app. This is another effort from Apple to curate and help the discovery process of new podcasts. That's one of the things that is still challenging, you know, Platforms like YouTube do great at surfacing videos they think you will like and showing that on your home tab in YouTube. And when it comes to podcasts, Apple is trying to do this in the Apple Podcasts app, and it's somewhat challenging to find new shows that you would really like. So they now have new collections, three new ones called Dark Side, TBH, or To Be Honest, and Popped. Dark Side covers crime type and crime related podcasts. To Be Honest is on culture and things like that. And then Popped is very much an entertainment like TV shows and movies collection. I think it's great that Apple is putting more effort into discovery, helping people find new podcasts that they would enjoy. And they also actually released some new features on the back end for podcast creators. You can now actually download new reports, like how many of your listeners of your podcast also subscribe 
and other detailed information about paid subscribers, which is great. That's something that has not been really in the back end very much. You could see like the whole number, like here's how many people are paying for your subscription right now. But other than that, there wasn't a lot of data. Now they're increasing the amount of reports you can get comparing listeners versus paid supporters and all that. So I just love to see more effort in the Apple podcast space for sure. I really just wish it was a better app. I'm still on Overcast. I like the new update that uh, came through a few weeks ago. I haven't really taken advantage of it, but it's just nicer to look at. But Apple Podcasts, there's so many clunky things, just organization, going from launching the app to finding a show you're going to watch, pressing play, queuing up things, just everything about it just feels either outdated or just un- untouched. Or uh, It's like the people making the app don't use it. They just It's just not really a good experience. I know you use uh, Pocket Casts. These third-party clients are just really great, but I know Apple is just slowly ticking in more and more features and more things into the main app. So I know eventually we're going to cross that line of you're just not going to get this in something like Overcast like the, or like a podcast feature. Maybe they improve the show notes or something and bring in imagery or, or embedded links and stuff that just make the whole thing better and that other apps can't uh, replicate. I don't know, but I have a feeling maybe even iOS 16, we're going to get into that. Like we'll probably see changes to podcasts that can't be carried over to third parties. And I'm a bit worried about that because again, if I'm forced to use the Apple podcast app and it's a worse experience, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. Yeah. I mean, we already have that with Apple paid subscriptions. I mean, for this show, we offer the Patreon for people who want to pay for an ad free version of the show, but use third party podcast apps. But there are way more people that just use the stock Apple Podcasts app. And like you've been saying, it's definitely getting better. It is improved. There are some features that Apple Podcasts app does better than any third party, like especially if you listen to shows with seasons. Some episodes break their podcast into like season one, two, three, and then episodes. And Apple actually has one of the best kind of visual and organization things for that. The biggest feature for me, and I've actually told Apple this directly. I've actually made videos about it. But the biggest thing for me is the up next list, which basically means whenever you're listening to a podcast, being able to manage what is going to play next when the podcast you're listening to currently ends, the Apple Podcasts app changes that constantly. So if you're on that listen now, the first tab of the app, and you tap an episode in that listen now screen to start listening, your up next might just totally go away. Like whatever shows you had in that playing next screen might just disappear or it might replace it with all previous episodes of that specific show, which doesn't really make any sense. Like, I don't know why anyone would want that. And sometimes again, like it just goes away. You can alleviate this a little bit by creating stations. This is a new feature that was added in the past year. If you go to the library tab in the Apple podcast app, you can do a new station and then you can actually choose specific shows for each of those stations. And when you tap a show there, it will put all the new episodes of the shows in that station in your up next and it will play those in order. And that's somewhat predictable. But again, that's something where because I listen to a lot of podcasts, I want that up next list to never change. Like I want that to be a manual process. And if I tap an episode of a different show, even while I'm in the middle of listening to something now, I want what I'm currently listening to to just drop into that playing next list and not disappear. That's something where if you tap one of the episodes in your playing next list in the Apple Podcasts app, the episode that you are currently listening to just goes away and it doesn't like move back down into the playing next. So those are the kind of behaviors that Apple could improve on in the app. 
I believe that that behavior is remnant of the fact that this used to all just be part of iTunes. Mm. If you're in music, that's what happens. If you tap a song in an album, the up next playlist changes to the album. It doesn't maintain whatever was before it. Oh, um, I true. believe podcast is just working on that outdated system. And I, again, like I think music should change that too. Uh, speaking of, because that's just yeah. silly. I, I, if at the very least, if I tap on a song, I only want to listen to that song. I never want to listen. to. I mean, sometimes I want to listen to the whole album, but guess what? There's a play button for the album, Apple. I don't need you to anyway. Right. Uh, <laughs> good point. No, it's a good point. The, the podcast app is, again, it's it's very odd. And uh, I usually give it another, I always give it a try um, whenever we get to the new updates because I just want to see whatever Apple's changed or try out whatever new UI mechanism they're they're testing in the betas. Um, so I'll be, I'll be running podcasts again in June. Uh, here's hoping we see some improvements soon. Yeah. All right. Well, Mark Gurman has had some rumors about iOS 16 and watchOS 9 and other hardware things that might be coming out in the near future. Before we get to the rumors, things that we actually know about the iOS 15.5 beta, which we're, I think we're on like beta two or three right now. Beta three. Can, we're on beta three. Thank you. And you can get those developer and public betas are available. Some minor updates and new features there. If you go to the wallet app, you can actually send Apple cash and receive it there in the wallet app. Previously, you had to go to the messages app specifically if you wanted to send someone money. So that's nice there. I think that also plays into the rumor we've heard recently about Apple really trying to make a finance branch basically of Apple services for sending and receiving money, being able to receive payments. We know that that's coming. The tap to pay where someone can actually just pay you by tapping NFC to NFC on your phone. You won't need like a separate card reader from Square or whatever. So those kind of features are good, especially for small business owners. You can actually get the Wi-Fi signal strength for HomePod that are in your home app. That's really interesting. Be able to see the connectivity there, maybe help troubleshoot whether you have HomePods not really responding quickly with Siri. There's a renaming of the iTunes Pass card, which is like a digital gift card for storing funds. That has now changed to the Apple account card. And like we've mentioned before, iOS 15.5 has mentions to that classical music app, Apple Classical, that we should see launching pretty soon. I don't know if that will be 15.5 or if that will be one of the announcements at WWDC with iOS 16 coming then. The wallet changes are interesting to me just because the app is, I don't know, it's it's kind of untouched uh, for, for a while now and yeah. has a lot of legacy features um, like the iTunes pass system, uh, movie tickets and stuff. It, it all feels kind of crammed together, just old and new, like all these subtle changes, like the the iTunes pass getting renamed to Apple account or uh, balance. I think this signifies that Apple might be taking a new approach to the wallet app here soon, uh, maybe iOS 16, because I could see this getting completely flipped on its head and becoming a like account management system, having integration with like business cards, stuff like that. Like Apple could really go a long way here because we're, now we're dealing with passports, driver's licenses, car keys, home keys, yeah, all of these things in the same place. So, I mean, does wallet even make sense anymore as the name of the app? Uh, I just wonder what is going to change next, or is this going to evolve into something more like the cash app where, I mean, if you've ever used ca the like cash, it's the name is that, is that a square owns that? Yeah. Squares cash app. Yep. Like if you've ever gone into that, that's like a whole social presentation. Uh, you go in there and you, <laughs> you interact with like contact cards and say, I'm sending this person this much money. I, I could see Apple even integrating Apple cash in some way. And that like that, I don't know. I, yeah. I just foresee something changing with this app or it getting completely redone in some way, because right now it's 
kind of useless. I don't I don't know anyone that would go out of their way to uh, open the wallet app on a regular basis, unless I guess you have an Apple Card and you're paying payments. But I find that part of the app very useful. Do you have an Apple Card, Stephen? I do have an Apple Card, and I think those functions and features work well. Yeah, like that whole thing. Like once you open the Apple Card, it's like a completely different app. It's actually right. kind of wild. It's a, again a completely different UI within this app. So it just feels like too much mishmash going on here. And uh, I'm really hoping we see some more changes come up with that. Because again, you you know me, I want that. I want contacts. I want social features to really get addressed here. Not you know share play. That's a whole different thing. You know, last year yeah. we got share play. That's a social feature. I get it. But the backbone of social on iPhone really needs a lot of work. And I think uh, Apple needs to lean into it because that's where a lot of people are these days. This episode is brought to you by Dio Connect. Guys, Dio is making the most affordable AirPlay 2 speaker that's completely private and secure. There's no microphone in the speaker. It's used just with AirPlay 2. That means you can put these speakers all over your house and stream music, stream podcasts everywhere you go. And because it's so affordable, you can put them in multiple rooms around your house. It's the first ever AirPlay 2 speaker under $99, so you can get one under $99, and you can get a pack of three for just $199. But here's the thing, their Indiegogo special discount ends this Thursday. So if you listen to this podcast on the day it comes out, you have just under a week. And if not, you should run, not walk, to the link in the show notes, or go to doconnect.com slash Apple Insider and get yourself a one or three pack of these awesome AirPlay 2 speakers. There's no app you have to download to set up these speakers. AirPlay makes multi-user audio super simple. You know what it's like to try and share a Bluetooth speaker. You have to unpair, disconnect, have someone else pair. Well, when you get AirPlay 2 speakers, everyone with Apple devices in your home can AirPlay what they want to them without having to switch or resync or pair anything. And these are compatible with other AirPlay 2 speakers, so you can play the same music and podcast across all of your AirPlay 2 speakers, including HomePods and Dio Connect. They have a great Indiegogo page. They talk all about developing it, and they have a great little video demo as well. Remember, their special discount ends in just a week. It ends this Thursday as you listen to this show, and they're also giving out 35% off on future Dio nodes to everyone who pre-orders one of these speakers now. So check them out at doconnect.com slash Apple Insider and order some speakers before time runs out. That's doconnect, D-I-O connect.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Dio Connect for sponsoring this episode and our friends at Collide. Collide is an incredible service that empowers your employees to take control of their devices and offers them privacy and security recommendations right inside Slack. Whether they're using a Linux machine, Mac, or a Windows device, Collide will send the messages inside Slack to let them know, hey, you just saved some passwords in a text file to your desktop. <laughs> Don't do that. And other security recommendations, Collide does it automatically through Slack. Typically, companies will lock down and make it almost difficult to use devices because they're so afraid employees are going to do something that invites malware or something that's insecure. Well, Collide helps to educate your employees on best practices and device management and directs them to fix the important problems. Visit collide.com slash Apple Insider to sign up today. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Apple Insider. And when you enter your email, you actually get a free Collide gift bundle after trial activation. You could do a free trial. So that's a cool deal. And at Collide, they know that end users are an IT admin's most significant untapped resource and key to solving the most challenging security issues. For instance, Collide can find plain two-factor backup codes on a user's computer and teach those end users how to store them properly. Can even convince users to uninstall evil browser extensions that may sell their browser history. Those are just some of the many use cases not solved by locking down systems. So you can try Collide with all of its features on an unlimited number of devices for free 
for 14 days. No credit card even required for the free trial. So try it out at collide.com slash Apple Insider. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Apple Insider. A thanks to Collide for sponsoring this episode. And speaking of those wallet updates, looking to iOS 16, Mark Gurman doesn't have a whole lot to say about what we'll see there. He says updates to notifications and new health tracking features, which I'm not even sure what more can be done. I mean, notifications got a big overhaul last year with iOS 15, especially the notification summary. So we can talk about that in a minute. When you're talking about wallet, I do think that might be something we see significant changes coming in iOS 16. I think the whole app, like you're saying, it does need an overhaul, especially for navigation. Because when you go into that wallet app, you have credit cards that you use for Apple Pay, you have debit cards, you have loyalty cards for things like Chipotle or Chick-fil-A or whatever. Some of those you can actually pay in store. Others are just scanned for your loyalty points like Walgreens. Then you could also have like travel documents in there. You could have boarding passes for flights. You could have train tickets from Amtrak. So I think there needs to be some separation there. Like give me like shortcut styles, round rec icons that says payments, loyalty cards, travel documents, like some kind of visual organization so I can actually find something quickly. Because right now, if you have a number of cards, like you're going to be flipping through that wallet app for a while looking for what you're looking for. Right. Like that app, now that I think of it, is it, I think it's one of the only Apple like apps that still basically use skeuomorphism. And I know it's not a literal leather wallet anymore, but it's organized like a wallet. You know, it has a stack of cards that shuffle around. And I don't think there's, uh, unless you can think of an example offhand, there's any other app on the iPhone that even resembles what it's portraying anymore. Like there's no element of skeuomorphism anywhere in iOS anymore. But when I look at the wallet app, yeah, I'm, I'm still seeing that iOS 7 era wallet. And it's it's very funny yeah. to me that that has survived, especially when Apple is leaning so heavily into all the technology going into this thing. I mean, like you were saying before, the peer-to-peer payment system for businesses coming soon where you can tap an iPhone to another iPhone and, and right. uh, make a payment for something, like that's huge. And I'm sure that part of that interface is the wallet. So again, there's just so many pieces of technology centered around this very sad looking app these days. So uh, I'm... <laughs> here's hoping yeah and i also feel like i forgot that you could also have transit cards driver's license will be showing up here probably in the near future it's very crowded and you even have like concert tickets and stuff and there are some use cases like i've gotten like Ticketmaster tickets for whatever a comedy show or concert and the app like is not intelligent to actually hide passes that have already gone like have expired so like if i scan my ticket for a concert I would hope it would just disappear the next day. Like I clearly don't need it anymore. And there is an option to view expired passes. Like I can jump in there and actually see my previous Genius Bar reservations, my Fandango movie tickets, Ticketmaster things. Like you can see all that in the expired passes, but it doesn't automatically move the Ticketmaster ones into expired after the concert has already passed. That's a minor feature. I don't know if that's something that Ticketmaster would have to implement or Apple, but I, I totally agree. I think... This app, and I think this is the year with all the different announcements Apple has made about payments and finance, that this could be a year we do see a significant update to the wallet app. Yeah, I think it could be really cool. I know, I mean, I know this is pretty deep in the weed stuff, but Apple could really uh, make a serious difference in just presentation, making people understand what's available for this thing. I mean, the wallet is huge in places like Japan and uh, the UK where like transit passes and, and boarding passes right. and stuff. It's just an everyday thing. Um, and I think the United States is behind in a lot of ways in technology and payment systems. I mean, we the wallet app is used in some places to uh, get 
access to colleges if you're a college student, um, you know, stuff like that. So right. I don't know. It's like you said, we, we need a new modern UI and an approach that I, th- I think, I hope is just social 2.0. Whereas l- last year was Apple kind of like saying, you know what? Um, yeah, iPhones are used for socializing, right guys? Uh, maybe we should have a social feature or two. <laughs> um, maybe this year they should kind of just think, oh, um, people really liked some of that. I mean, especially I've heard share play, I mean, is actually doing pretty well amongst younger folk. They're just huh. wa- watching like TikTok together and stuff. It's kind of crazy. That's interesting. Yeah. Old people are going to look at it me like, why would I want to see your face while I'm watching uh, a movie? But some of these apps that are taking advantage of it, um, you know, kids, they're, yeah. they're getting into it and they I'm shared experience, you know, and I mean, that's anecdotal. I don't really have, I don't have an article I can point to. It's just, you know, from what I've seen and heard, people are aware of it and they're using it. So it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely one of those things where it's like, I message stickers. Like I didn't, nobody talked about that, but, uh, uh they played, a, they played a lot of pool, but they didn't really talk about the stickers. But <laughs> right. Anyway. Well, other things that Mark Gurman has said in his power on newsletter recently, Apple watch, he claims that we're going to have three new models this fall possibly that rugged Apple Watch that we've heard a lot about. He said one feature that we could see, again, Apple Watch is not ready for like blood pressure monitoring or blood glucose, but we might someday soon, probably not this year, but actually get that satellite connectivity that we actually heard about in an iPhone that might be coming soon, where you can actually connect to a satellite, even if there's no cellular reception around and still be able to send like an emergency text, that that could possibly come to an Apple Watch in the near future. That really feels like it would be a long way off because when it comes to like battery life and the actual hardware you need to communicate to a satellite, I can't see that in a watch. Maybe that rugged model, if it's like significantly larger, almost like an old school Garmin GPS watch, maybe they would include a feature like that, but I'm not sure. I don't care how big and rugged that watch is. The battery would die in four minutes. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which is not something it would be on all the time. Like it wouldn't have satellite connectivity persistently, but yeah, even if you're in the wilderness, I mean, you would have minutes probably to get a message out. Steve, Steven, I, <laughs> I got it. You're lost in the wilderness. You're you're yes. you're climbing. What is that mountain? El Capitan. El, El, you're climbing El Capitan. It's Craig Federighi. Yes, he's going to die because there's a bear about approaching him, and he hits yeah. a button on his watch. What it can send one bit per per second uh to the satellite and it just sends sos and that's all it can get out but guess what there's uh right there's a team on the way i don't know it's yeah, just maybe i don't know it, it like like something i mean I, I i kid but like seriously yeah that that's the only thing i could think of i don't think you're literally going to use the watch for like a call or something but like a, no, 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 a, no. a broadcast signal saying hey please help me that's that's plausible yeah Lots of cases, yeah, people falling off the side of the road, riding a bicycle or whatever, and the watch automatically does fall detection and then automatically calls emergency services and they show up and the person was unconscious the whole time. So, I mean, we have cases of that now. It would just be extrapolating that to areas that have no cellular coverage and the watch doing it with a satellite. Yeah, I, I, want, I, I don't know anything about this, so, you know, yeah, don't, don't, know. don't quote me, but like, <laughs> I, I wonder if something like that, like a small text bite of, here's my location, please send help, uh, just getting right. sent to a local... Uh, emergency service wouldn't take that much battery wouldn't take that much time it would just be a quick connection bloop there you go come help me kind of thing and uh, that would be really interesting especially for climbers you know wilderness people that kind of stuff um i think would make the most sense you're not going to be using this for facetime audio so at least not anytime soon and then when it comes to watch os 9 the next version that will be announced at wwdc i think sleep tracking could use some improvement and this might be the area where apple spends the most time is on activity and health tracking fitness plus you know we haven't heard a lot about it you know we've heard about new workouts that have been launched but i think fitness plus as a service 
Apple doesn't talk about a lot and I think could make a big appearance at WWDC in conjunction with watchOS 9 updates. I think group workouts would be a huge thing if they could actually deliver that in the next version of Fitness Plus in the you know iOS 16 and macOS and all that and Apple TV OS 16. And then also long-term exercise programs. I know my wife really likes certain programs that are like 100 days and follow a, an entire workout regimen over that extended period of time. I think Apple Fitness Plus could add those kinds of things to draw people who might be paying for a beach body or whatever that has those kinds of 100-day workouts and might attract some of those new users. But other than that, you know, watchOS, it's a watch. You know, you can, there's really only limited things you can do with it. I'm not sure what else they would squeeze into watchOS 9. The, the most obvious thing, I think, is uh, bring some of those old watch faces back to life. That's true. New watch faces. Yeah. Enhance complications. Just make things a little bit better. Maybe, I don't know, third-party uh, watch store. I know it's never going to happen, but um, yeah, I know. <laughs> just better customization. Just something along those lines. Give developers widgets on iPhone, give developers more because complications can get you a uh, pretty, pretty far away. Yeah. And if, if they cheat a little bit and add an image to the background of the widget, they can change what the watch face looks like physically. But again, right. it's, it's not doing that much. If Apple could lean into that a little bit, cause I, there's a whole market behind it, like facer and stuff like that. The facer app, if you've ever looked into it, yep. it's a big pile of garbage, I think in my opinion, but uh, <laughs> it gives a hint of what could be possible if Apple just leaned in 10% more than they do now. Right. So I don't know. Watch OS 9. I'm not expecting a lot, just like TVOS, you know, but, uh, yeah, not big, uh, going back to fitness plus real quick. I would like to see Apple take advantage of all the information it has on you. It has all this stuff about your heart rate, your, your general cardio respiratory, like health and all that stuff. And recommend workouts based on my, like what you know about me or, like I know the person on the TV is never going to just like address me personally and tell me like that I'm fat and I need to do some <laughs> jumping jacks or whatever, but yeah. give me a, give me some work like basic, like, Hey, it looks like your cardiovascular health could do this cardio thing, you know, just right. that, that kind of stuff there. It, it, it feels like we got a pile of data and a pile of workouts and they don't talk to each other. And that's, that's kind of odd to mm. me in a, in a place where Apple is all about vertical integration. So maybe we could see some of that. That would be nice to have workout recommendations to say, here's the current picture of your health. As we see it, here's just some suggested workouts. Like here's three, you know, here's a strength training. Here's a cardio. Here's a cool down or a meditation type one. Like just try these because that even that while fitness plus doesn't have a massive selection, it could still be intimidating for someone who doesn't work out very often to go in there and say like, what category do I choose? What length of workout should I try? You know, if you haven't worked out for a while, you might be motivated to say, let me try a 30 minute workout. It might be good for the Apple watch or your iPhone to say, you know, it doesn't look like you've tracked any activity for a while. Like maybe try a 10 minute workout and try this lighter impact one or whatever. So yeah, I think it would be great to have that kind of smart recommendations, which, you know, they do across the platforms elsewhere. I mean, they recommend things you can watch, things you can listen to in Apple Music and Apple Podcasts. I think doing those kind of recommendations in Fitness Plus would work well. And then finally, macOS 13 is somewhat of a mystery. You know, we don't really have many features that have been rumored. I think shortcuts just need some bug fixes and all that. I do want to put my prediction in one more time for the next version of macOS. You know, we get a new name, every version of macOS. This was my prediction last year. Didn't come true, obviously, because we got Monterey. But I think this year or in years soon, we will have macOS El Dorado. That is my official name prediction. Wes, I don't know if you care to make a, a naming prediction for this year's macOS. Well, I, as I scroll uh, the Apple Maps app, because I know nothing about California, I see that Big Sur, like it, it, it's almost like someone's just driving up the coast because you got you got Catalina Island, 
if you're in Santa Barbara right, and then you go up right. the highway, you pass Big Sur, then you pass Monterey. I'm like, hmm, okay, all right. So oh. you drive north a little bit more. You run into San- so Mac OS San Francisco. I- no, no, no. That's that's too on the nose. <laughs> no, Mac OS uh, North North Pacific Ocean. Uh, that's another option. Wait, where where are you looking here? How far north is it? Above San Francisco or below? Uh, Monterey is right next to San Francisco. Oh, I see. I see Monterey. No, okay. What, okay. What's interesting is uh, I don't know. I just thought it was funny because I, I see on the map here Monterey Bay. So what if we did Mac OS Monterey Bay? <laughs> I mean, hey, they've done Leopard and Snow Leopard, right? And they've done what is it a uh, Sierra and High Sierra. So so they they do a big panning shot of like. Like, here's the mountains. Oh, look, we're in the water now. You know, I don't know. I mean, it might be that bug fix that everybody's asking for. No, no huge features. Just Monterey to Monterey Bay. My request, because, yeah, I don't have I don't have a prediction. I mean, the naming scheme's crazy. I really hope they continue to do the uh, crackpot naming team thing, whatever oh, they do. Because yeah, yeah. that, that's always hilarious. I love yes. the them just talking about getting high and making up names. Mac OS Peyote. <laughs> My hopeful here is, is a couple things. A, give me desktop widgets. I know I don't, that might be a cursed thing. That might be some weird, because I know uh, there there used to be a thing about some sort of widgets, but like, I don't know. I look at my iPad and there's just so much information available to me. Wouldn't it be hilarious, Stephen, if they came out with macOS desktop widgets that were interactable before they were interactable on ios and iOS. oh that would make me so People mad would be so angry <laughs> i would be mad yeah because the widget's been like three years on ios right don't do that first of all how could you put widgets on mac os and not have them interactable you're using a mouse anyway it, it just it, it feels like a good year to say okay they're interactable on ios and ipad os and they're coming to mac os i just think right. it'd be really cool to you know if I have a desktop doing nothing, I, sure, I could have like a notes page open or something, but like, let me have uh, a couple RSS feeds and uh, some stocks and stuff up there. Just get what, what was that thing called? The dashboard? I know it's, kind of, I guess yeah, I'm yeah, describing dashboard. the dashboard. Actual desktops. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. This, this, no, this probably. I thought- yeah. I think it's reasonable because like, you know, when you pull over the today view where your notifications live, which for some reason, macOS notifications, you can update notifications, do it there because for some reason like that, it is just not useful to me. Like banners are useful, like when they pop over, but actually interacting with notifications in the like notification list view, like is not helpful. But those widgets, I got my weather widget, I got my calendar. I wouldn't mind those being persistent on the desktop. I mean, those are nice right. glanceable information. And then for your desktop icons, just shift it over four spots, you know, four squares or whatever. And you can have those start right next to the widgets. I, I'm for that. I think it's a good idea. I got I got two more. Yeah. No, so for notifications, notification sync, cloud sync. Oh right? my goodness. Make it so if I interact with a notification on any device, every other device knows that I did it and they disappear forever. Just please. <laughs> yes, that would be amazing. Especially for Apple's own apps, like the home app. Like I'll have notifications of like, you know, garage door was opened and I get the notification on all my devices and then I have to dismiss it on all of my devices. You know, they Apple has this nailed down with iMessage, you know, for most of the time for me, if I read a message on my Mac or my iPhone or my iPad, it will sync with iMessages in the cloud and I won't see that notification or that message as unread on my other devices. So I feel like they got to figure it out there. They could do it elsewhere. And they should also make it so whatever active, like, Notification sound. Uh, basically, do like Siri. Everybody yeah. vote who's going to make the noise. Uh, do it based on proximity. <laughs> do right. it based on active devices. Is there is there three iPads, a Mac, and an iPhone within four inches of each other? Make only one of them make a noise, Apple. <laughs> yes. Oh, and ring. Like when there's a call. Yeah, don't forward it to 
don't ring all my don't ring my Mac and my iPads and my iPhone and my watch. Yeah, just ring one device. I love sitting in my office and then forgetting that uh the living room there's a Mac in the living room isn't muted and just hearing a ringtone from far away and I'm just like, oh God. <laughs> Yes, this is a good idea, Wes. I hope Apple's taking notes. I like right. these ideas. Go ahead. And, and and finally, my third idea: uh, give me a persistent slide over window. I know it's not that popular of a thing amongst the nerds, it's whatever. But I'm telling you, slide over is awesome. I love being able to just have a notepad or a designated app, a stack of apps there that I can mouse over to the edge of the screen. It pops open. I can do whatever I need to there and close it back up. After getting used to that existing on iPad, I'm craving it on Mac. And mm. there's a, there's the quick notes feature, which I always forget about on Mac OS 2. Sure, that can pop up a notepad if I just curse it or the corner. A slide over persistent like Safari notes, drafts, I would kill for drafts and slide over. That oh, would be really idea. cool. Like uh, right now, I'm using an app called SlidePad. I believe SlidePad is a part of setup. That's where I got it from. It's kind of broken. It's it's odd. It It's basically a browser that running the Safari engine. Uh, so all you can get is browser related things. They promote it as like, you can use Apple Notes. Yeah, but in a browser and it's awful. Mm. I use it for Slack, Discord. So I'm not running the Slack app on my Mac. Thank goodness, because it's awful. I'm not running Discord because that thing is just eats CPUs, right? Yes. So they're in a browser window and a slide over thing that I can just mouse to the edge of the screen. It pops open. There it is. And that is so convenient. And if Apple could just make that a system thing and let me put apps there, not just browsers, that would be a game changer. That would be really cool for my workflows anyway. Maybe I'm the only one on the planet who wants it, but that would be cool. Those are very good ideas. Apple, uh, take note, please. And also, listeners, tweet at Wes and myself, what are the things you would like to see in the WWDC updates, whether it's iOS 16, iPadOS 16, watchOS 9, macOS 13. You know, there's going to be a lot of operating systems to update come WWDC. So tweet at us. Let us know what you would like to see. And of course, thank you for listening. You can give us five-star ratings, and we'll give you a shout-out at the beginning of the next show. And also, you could support the show, like we mentioned before, directly in Apple Podcasts. $5 a month, you get an ad-free version of the show, access to our Discord and bonus episodes, and patreon.com slash Apple Insider if you want to support us there. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.